Hardcore history. Damn Carly. The what's it called? The uh, Prophets of Doom is a fucking. It's a goddamn feast. I love the way that, like sometimes if I listen to four hours of that podcast, just talk like Dan Carlin for a while, but he'll just be like, "Picture a balloon. <laughs> now picture that balloon covered in blood. <laughs> that was the birthday party of Alexander the First. Like, Start over. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. This is called The Cutaway. Um, since it's the first episode, I think we should start with a mailbag. Just get all our fan mail in. I appreciate this. My fans, unfortunately, didn't show up because they all hate me. No, we have some We have some good... Okay, so the first letter, um, this one just says, who are you? This is a question directed to me. Yes. Yeah. Is, 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 is to me it's from the desk of William Law. No, don't read that part. This is excellent. <laughs> this is outstanding, Bill. A random. No, 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 no. The fact, the fact that your notes say that is outstanding. Remember the previous <laughs> conversation of like something about your head up your own ass for a Um, it's not my notes. <laughs> you can't prove that. They're from my desk. They're from, from your from desk. Anyone. The desk itself. It literally says your name on it. Who does that? It was my desk. Right. So my desk wants to know, Momo. Who are you? Okay. I am an Emirati fan of movies. What's your name? My, you just said Momo. Am I supposed to introduce myself like, hi, my name is Momo? Do you want to just be like one Momo? Oof. With Momo. an accent on the last O? Momo is fine. Okay. Uh, we've been friends for over, what is it? Not, not a decade, has it? It's almost been, no, it's eight years. A while. A yeah, while. a while. And uh, you, you and I argue about films a lot. Well, actually, we agree on all movies Except two. Spider-Man 2. No. Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Spider-Man 2, I admitted, when I was... Which took years. No, no, no. But like, I was doing it to annoy you because it was funny. It took... That was not. That was real. (laughs) Spider-Man 2. You're changing the story. No, 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 no. Batman v Superman, totally real. Man (laughs) of Steel, totally real. (laughs) Spider-Man 2 was just to mess with you because I saw how you reacted to everything. I recorded all those conversations. (laughs) They're going up. Go back. Go back to it. Batman v Superman, I stand by it. Man of Steel, I stand by it. That's fair. Okay, I will answer the question that was asked by my desk. My name is William Mullally. I'm a film critic, journalist, what have you. I interview people, talk about things. I'm on the radio sometimes. I'm on TV sometimes. My name is Muhammad Yusuf Al-Shaybani. That Yusuf? Yus- Muhammad Yusuf Al-Shaybani. I'm learning things. This is, it, it's in my passport. I have to say it thusly. Everywhere I go. Appreciate it. Muhammad Yusuf El Shaybani. Everyone knows me as Momo. Or you have just recently called me Momo. Momo. You are Momo. Momo is sticking. Um, I am a comic book artist or aspiring comic book artist. I've just come back from SCAD with my MFA in comic book art or sequential art. I love movies and I love comics. And I've been a friend for over eight years. Wow. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. Been a while, but you were gone for a long time. I was gone for three and a half. Back. We haven't talked about movies in a while. No, I wonder if if there like there's a rift, and we need to patch this up movie wise because I think the because our only problems were Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Spider Man. We're never gonna happened. see. Yeah, we'll see. So um, I have another fan. It says, "What are you doing here? What am I doing here? We are recording a podcast to discuss the new film Searching." Searching, which is out on Thursday in the UAE, across the Middle East. It's already been out in the UK. It's been out in the US. It premiered at Sundance this year. So that's where this movie began. At Sundance, it was called Search. Then they picked up the rights. They changed it to Searching. Is there a reason? It seems more active, I guess. And it's Searching. Search. I don't know. What do you like better? Do you think it should have been called Search? I don't know. I can't, I can't make up my mind right now. Like, search or searching, does it make a difference? I don't see, like, that huge of a difference. So, searching is starring, hashtag starring John Cho and Deborah Messing, which you don't, you haven't heard about this. No, I've, I've had no idea. I've, I know it's been re- up and reviewed by a lot of YouTubers before I've seen the film. I haven't, yeah. seen, the, I haven't seen the reviews because I was like, John Cho is in a film and I want to watch it. I don't want to know anything. I don't want any priming. I just want to go watch this film. And then you were like, hey, Watch it. It's over there. And well, there was this whole movement to get John Cho 
called like hashtag starring John Cho. This guy, William Hu, on um, Twitter started a thing where he was basically photoshopping John Cho into posters of The Martian and other sorts of films. Basically showing, why isn't John Cho in movies? Because John Cho is awesome. Like, he's a really good actor. He's good looking. He's leading man material. I mean, he, he, he was interesting in, uh, I think, Star Trek's where I noticed that. He actually has potential. great. I think he's always had that. No, but angry Sulu, like when he threatens Khan. He's got chops. And, and then he's like, you know, kindly remind me never to piss you off. I've that blocked out of... that whole movie, so I don't remember <laughs> that happening. <laughs> well, so Sulu goes from being a passive kind of like bumbling pilot from the first film when Spock had to correct him on some ha- space handbrake or something. Okay. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm new here. I'm Sulu. Okay, it's fine. He's bumbling. He's new. He's a new pilot. He's getting his, you know, he's getting, he's getting, he's getting it together. And then the second film, he's back being the pilot, and they're like, okay, you take command. I'm gonna go somewhere, and you, you deal with it. And then he threatens Khan, but it's such a switch up for the character, and he, he, was, he convinced me, and he was just so, so, so good. Awesome. Yeah. So searching to explain for people if they haven't seen it, we're gonna like talk about spoilers, etc. So you should have seen Searching, but just in case you are happy to listen to a movie that is being spoiled before your own ears. Um, Searching is the story of a father whose daughter goes missing, and he has to find her. One might say he had to search for her. Oh, Oh, well done. But the thing is, how do you find, he realizes he doesn't know much about his own daughter. And in 2018, how do you find out more about your your teenage kids? Social media. You hack into their computer. <laughs> you, just, computer. you just hack into their... You just find it. You manage... You snail it. Hack into the mainframe. That's the way. I've learned so many ways to like reset passwords of this, right? of this film. So many ways. So I'm just like, oh, oh, when I die, I'm going to leave a note. Destroy everything I own. Destroy all my accounts. Deactivate everything. Seriously. Destroy my hard drives. Leave nothing. Leave no traces after I die. Yeah, if you're ever planning on being murdered... <laughs> Do this about six hours before. Um, yeah, so basically the thing with searching is it is that conceit. Like, it's not just a murder mystery. It's not just about starring John Cho. It, the entire film takes place on a computer screen. Uh, I was wondering, we're going to talk about the gimmick, where it's just... Let's talk about it, the gimmick, the device. The device. Yeah. I've spoken said. to John Cho about this. I've spoken to Anish, um, director and Seb, the, the producer and writer, and they call it a device. They don't call it a gimmick. <laughs> It's 100% gimmicky, but, but carry on. But that's the thing. So when I was speaking to them, when I, I sat down with Anish and talked about this, basically they said that initially, so he was, he worked at Google for a long time, the director, and he did commercials for Google. So he did some of them went viral, like where they basically show people using their computers to like come together with your family. And there were these, you know, those two minute moving commercials where it's like, why is Google from the, from the point of view of the screen, the device. Yeah. And that's, that was a niche. Like, he was the one that made those films. And someone approached him about doing a film on a computer screen. He said, I'm never going to do a film on a, on a computer screen, mark my words. Next thing you know, he's made a film on a computer screen. Yeah, he, they convinced him in the end. And really, there's other films that have done this before. So it's not the first time this happened. There's a movie, Unfriended, um, which was basically a bunch of kids. Isn't that like there's other. a... Like their dead friends' accounts kind of befriends them or something. Yeah, everyone's dead. Oh, sorry, not everyone's dead. One person is dead. Everyone's on this on this chat together, and the dead friend joins the chat. And it's very watchable. It's terrible, but I sat there and watched all eighty minutes of that movie enraptured. So there is something about sitting and staring at a screen that I do think is weirdly cinematic. I think what's interesting to me is John Cho having to emote with only like webcam on. It's just his face mostly, or an upper, just a bit of the upper body. Yeah, you don't, you, you don't get to see him. Hard. You don't get to see him react like by throwing stuff and by like, you know, physically moving around. It's just his face talking to people and just like the look of worry, the look of concern. Like he gets angry. Yeah, he loses so I, his mind. I think a horror movie in a way is easier to do because you just have a bunch of people look super scared, and then in the background something stabs and rips um, them apart. This is a thriller. Where a father is searching for his daughter. Normally you'd expect a guy running towards something, running away from something. This is just a worried guy typing in passwords and resetting settings and watching old videos. Well, the question is, how old is the director? He's a young guy. I mean, it has to be. The, the language used, like the dialogue is very snappy. It's very, it's basically how most young kids would talk or people of the age or young would converse 
online. Yes. It's, not, it's not the same voice you use when you're talking on the street. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's just, the online voices and the way that people text and interact is just unbelievably realistic. It's really, really, really well done. The, I mean, the thing is with this movie, though, they wanted to create... An, if you're going to have a thriller, if you're going to have someone who's worried about another character, they need to make you care really quick. And this movie takes the up route of like showing you an entire life and death in the opening three minutes. And... So how do you feel about this opening? So basically, to, to well, it's it's again, it's the up opening kind of thing where I was watching it, and I think I was texting you at the time, just losing my mind. I'm like, how dare they? How dare they manipulate me? But did it work? So yes, of course it worked. They they looked lovely as a family. Yeah. So basically, it opens. It's really clever, I think, and I think it shows immediately when this film opens. It shows that they actually show respect for their audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Immediately, it opens to Windows XP. They weren't kidding though. They, they they're they're aware of the time period. They're aware of the software people use. They the evolution of software as time goes by. But not just they're aware. very accurate. They're accurate, but they're also they're willing to know that you would notice. Yes, like that's the only signal that you have of what's happening and when it's happening. And the time that goes by is just like change of OS. The uh, yeah, so they respect the. Um, the intelligence of their audience, which yeah. I think is part of why they're... Like, reading. Chris Nolan does that, though. That's why I like Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan. Okay, we're he not going to get into... No. No. <laughs> Podcast is going to go off the rails quickly if we start <laughs> arguing about Christopher Nolan. But, so, I mean, I, I do think that it really pulls you in immediately. And I do think that John Cho's performance here is a bit difficult because he has to basically play, like, this very stilted kind of non-emotional guy who slowly gets pulled into the emotions because he's numb... Basically, in the opening of this, his wife is dead, and he has to basically play a guy who's pushed all of his emotions away. So, not only is it a guy staring at a computer screen and, like, FaceTiming his daughter as she didn't take out the trash, he's doing so <laughs> to seem as if he's emotionally repressed as possible. Then, I, I mean... Like, the scars of the passing are clear everywhere. So I, like I how she behaves with him and how... Yeah, so you see, I, I think, how good of an actor he is. Oh, he's, he shows range immediately. And it's, it's, I, it, I thought it was outstanding from John Like, if it weren't him, I don't think I would have seen this film. I don't think I would have been able to be captivated as long as I have. Yeah. Like, it just immediately grabbed my attention span. How, like, the cute thing where he didn't know where the camera was and they're taking a picture together for their yeah. little account. They all know where the camera is and he's just trying to figure out where the camera is. Uh, yeah, anyone who has a, a father who's, like, taken a terrible photo. <laughs> Every photo my father sends me is like blurry and out. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, Dad, that's the pinky. That's not you. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the starring John Cho movement was really not just about how John Cho should be in more movies. I'm, I'm generally unaware. Uh, I, I just didn't know this needed to be said either. Like, John Cho is just really good. I don't yeah. understand. So that's the thing. It's not just about how uh, John Cho isn't being put into movies. It's about how Asian Americans are never really cast into films. It, like, and if they are, a lot of times, I mean, going back to the 80s, there's Long Duck Dong in 16 Candles. Like, it's an incredibly stereotypical performance. The problem is... I'm really surprised it didn't go for a... What's it called? That Audrey Hepburn film. That's not... Okay. That's not even an Asian guy. <laughs> I know. That's, that's the point I wanted to make. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah that's um, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Breakfast at Tiffany's. And Audrey Hepburn. If you've rewatched it, it's really powerful and amazing, except for the For parts. that guy. Yeah. Um, Wait, so, uh, he's... Acting like they got a white guy to behave to be yeah. do a Chinese stereotype, Japanese stereotype. J- it doesn't get any better. I don't understand. It's just got, like, it's sorry, Asian stereotype, just Asian stereotype. He's there for look how funny it is that he's Japanese. Like that's it's at least twenty minutes of screen time. And you know, look personally, I don't mind if it's meant to be humorous. I I I accept any kind of humor, but it didn't age well. It's Mickey Rooney, yeah, who's this amazing child star, who's in these classic movies, just playing. A Japanese guy for walls. It's really horrible. It hasn't really gotten much better, though. I mean, okay. I'm saying it didn't, that, that stereotype didn't age well. But uh, again, I, I see your point. We had, um, so there was the Joy Luck Club in the early 90s. George Takei, though. He, he, he got to be so... I mean, but yeah, that, George but, Takei... No, George no, but Star Trek was obviously, like, it was way progressive as well. And it was trying to be. Yeah. You know, pushing out, um, you know, this multicultural society. Basically, Star Trek has always been, like, liberalism pushed to its best ideals. And so diversity for... You know, just not to... First uh, African-American kiss on screen? Yeah. yeah. Um, interracial kiss. Yeah. There's a lot that was really progressive about that. We haven't really seen much since, though. Like, this is... Like, so we got a major studio film in the early 90s with the Joy Luck Club, which is based on the book. 
We had a non-studio film called Better Luck Tomorrow in the uh, early 2000s yeah, yeah. Um, by Justin Lin, who went on to do all the Fast and Furious movies. He's great. He took the character Han from that And movie. he kept him going through, and he's always eating something. So that was from, yeah, so that was from... Do you know why he's Better eating Tomorrow. something, though? Because he was always smoking in the previous film, and he's off it now. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it is funny, and then they flips over in a car and kills him. So Han's an amazing character. <laughs> so, I mean, you've seen Justin Lin do something with, with Han, but we haven't really had, you know, Asian-focused things. The problem is... Interestingly enough, we have an Asian comic book artist called Bernard Chang. One of his stipulations to work, uh, I, forget, I think he was working Dynamite, one of those old-school, uh, like, uh, comic companies back in the day on the top five. Mm -hmm. And he, one of the stipulations that he take on one of their comics was to create Asian characters, to create more representation of the comic books back in the day. That's great. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the issue is... I mean, I think, so, I, I don't know. With Asian racism, a lot of times I don't think that you can put this up against, like, a studio who's out there saying, like, we're not going to make Asian movies, like, we're against this. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure that racism no, it, it's as a word, but I, I don't know, like, I, I don't see the evidence of it, I just see the lack of it. Okay, here's the lack of it. First of all, I, I think it's market-driven. So if you're in the U.S., um, the majority of the country is white, so you want to have something that reflects the majority of the country. The problem is then, um, you know, non-whites are underrepresented. I mean, it's changing now because you're marketing for uh, China. Yeah, um, but I don't think that's... There's a, now they're including a lot of Asian like the Meg. Yeah, the, I mean, the Meg was, you know, half Asian, or half Chinese funded, it included a lot of different characters. But that's a bit different than just taking Asian Americans and having them. I mean, we've seen in the past few years, not just, you know, Southeast Asian um, communities, but also South Asian. We've seen things like Master of None, um, Hassan Minaj, Homecoming King. Um, you realize the Chinese market sick. also kind of affects, like, for example, the actress of Rose Tico, I'm sure you're aware. Yeah. Like, the, chi the Chinese market was like, nope. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're separate things. You know, there's the putting the big Chinese actors who are from China and there's just respecting the fact that America itself has Asians who are purely American, have been there for generations, you know, longer than, you know, some of my family as, as like a white American. No, so, I know, I know, but it's still market factors. Like I can see the market factors just interfering with progress. Yeah, America's always been really, and there was the Chinese Exclusion Act in the late, um, I don't know whether this history podcast all of a sudden, in the 19th century, <laughs> to make sure that we were limiting the number of Chinese people coming in. For no reason. And if we're, like, gonna go, if we're going to go, if we're going to go like bigotry towards Asians, we can, we can, you don't need to go far. Camps. They're wonderful labor camps. Yeah. I mean, I was just, I was with um, Kerry Fukunaga um, last week, the director of the next James Bond film. Yes. Just did Maniac, which is on Netflix. Yeah. His father was born in Japanese internment camp. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How do you even say that? Yeah. Mike Shinoda has a similar story from Linkin Park. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you have, there is like a lingering Asian racism, but I think a lot of times the problem is it's this internalized white supremacy that you don't even realize. For me, it's like the, it's the defaultness of whiteness. It's, you think of a white person as just a person. If you're in American culture, this is different everywhere, but in American culture, if you're white, you're kind of a default. Like, you're the default emoji, and everyone else is the variant. So the problem is when you go to a studio, and let's say like you're an Asian-American director, and you're going to cast John Cho as opposed to uh, Matt Damon in a movie, they're going to ask, well, why are you making Asian? Rather than just like, why are we putting this, you know, why are we casting this great actor? It's like, well, why should he well, be Well, interestingly enough, this, I think we've spoken about this off-air, about the how this is a horror film with an American Asian cast, essentially. Yeah, so the thing is with, with Searching, it's there's nothing quote-unquote Asian mm -hmm. about the story. They never make it something where they're finding an excuse to try to bring other culture and have it say something about the you know, Korean-American identity. No, no, I mean, and again, you had to bring this up because to me it was just, I, I, I look at the characters and I see if they're believable or not. That's how yeah, yeah. I watch movies and I'll... I'll if it's a stereotype, I lose interest. If it's like an easy half, like an easy out, yeah, I also lose an interest. But like, I didn't like it didn't strike me like, oh my god, it's an Asian family until you mentioned it. Before. This is a yeah. film solely about, and that's the thing. I mean, I mean, there's an argument um, for doing it both ways, and I do think that 
Crazy Rich Asians, which came out this summer, and even though that film actually came out after Searching debuted at Sundance, and it's kind of seen as if Searching is almost following that. Yeah. The thing with Crazy Rich Asians is it's called Crazy Rich Asians, and I haven't seen it. I have a lot of Asian American friends who, for it, um, for that that movie was you know incredibly powerful, incredibly moving, and a, a hugely monumental moment in their lives. To see Asian characters and Asian American characters depicted on screen in the sort of classic romantic comedy that you would have seen, you know, with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan twenty years ago, and that was important to them, and that's that's fantastic. But the fact that it's called Crazy Rich Asians doesn't—it's not exactly colorblind casting, whereas this is in a lot of ways colorblind casting, even though they. Anish and Seb purposefully made this an Asian American family because they. Oh, purposely. This was like a, there was intent behind it. Well, both of them. So the producer and co-writer is Armenian, and the the director and co-writer is Indian American. But they're both American, but they both come from well, non-white backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think it was important to them to just have something reflected their experience. You know, the, the fact that they just happen to be. Um, non-white. They well, to... I mean, fair enough. It's their product. Yeah, so I, I do think that, but I, I think a lot of it was just they realized John Cho was awesome and they wrote the part. For him. I mean, I would do the same because John Cho is awesome. Like he's he's just an incredible actor. I, I there's a lot of roles I didn't literally see that he should have taken the lead. Yeah. A lot of roles. He's just it's his range. It's just he's he's so charismatic as well. Yeah. Like oh my god, there was plenty of like a few actors can get a visceral emotion out of me where I'm like. Typing in all caps to you all night through, yeah. just explain. Yeah, you were, and I wasn't looking at it because I didn't want to hear all um, your thoughts. Because I'm like, we're going to sit down and talk about this with a microphone in front of us. I'm yeah. not going to read all your thoughts in my book. <laughs> I'll read them out right now. Okay, let's see. Let's see what you got. Uh, expletives are involved. There's plenty of me yelling at you for forcing me to. Well, not forcing, for telling me to watch this film, and it really got me. Okay, here we go. F me, Bill. I wasn't ready for this opening. A bit cheesy. <laughs> Damn it, new Sulu, I want to give you a hug. Hey, you have feelings? F you, here's us cooking together. Remember she died five minutes ago? Okay, this is the most interesting video I've seen in a year. One thing I learned from this movie, you can copy the Google code and paste it, and it'll work. I didn't think you could do that for security reasons. Yeah, I learned a lot too. Apparently, I can hack, uh, I can reset anyone's account now, as long as I know which email it's going to go back to. Yeah. So I, I do think that with this film, it's not, okay, the gimmick might interest people enough to be like, okay, that's kind of an interesting thing. The the gimmick I do think is enough to get people listening. Um, the whole progressive conversation that it's had, some people are going to care about that, some people aren't. The most thing that people are going to care about is this is effect. This is an effective thriller. No, it is an effective thriller. I think that's I think that's the most that's what what the film has going for it. It the pace never stops. It never slows down. It's it uh, does. But that when when thing. do you think it slows down? So I've watched it twice now. I watched it once about six months ago. I watched it again um, a couple of days ago and you can see how crafted this movie is and when i was speaking to them they told me they filmed this movie in 13 days it's on the imdb uh trivia it's on as well the trivia. <laughs> okay well maybe i wrote it there <laughs> no but like it's what's it called they did they, they shot the entire thing in 13 days and then all the effects and but they edited it in like 13 months or yeah eight months or no no you're right it, it took over a year to do yeah like, it's insane finished the entire thing um they, they didn't just film a computer screen either. Like, it's an animated film. Yeah, yeah, The amount of work that they put in... You can see not just the work that they put into the animation, but into the structuring itself. The first lull that you hit, the first time that I could take my eyes off the screen is exactly halfway when all of a sudden John Cho's character starts to think that he's run out of options. And he's going to give up. And then the camera zooms down and he gets another idea. And he sees the lake. And he realizes maybe he can go check that out. And so the movie twists from there. But if you can see, it's so well structured and it's so, it's the perfect time for that sort of lull. It's kind of tight. The plot's kind of tight. Like there's not a lot of gaps or openings where you could think, oh, that's a plot hole or that kind of, it's just really tight. Yeah, everything serves a purpose. Always, yeah. Um, and watching him figure, like figure things out and coming up with new ideas and saying, oh wait, I don't look at this. Oh wait, this contact. Oh wait, this number. Just going through all the options. Yeah. And I think that it is a very, you know, standard mystery sort of thriller, but it's the execution that really, I think, makes it stand out just mm. as a film, not just in the gimmick, not just in what it's trying to say. It's incredibly effective in keeping your eyes on the screen and keeping you guessing until the end. And I, I think because of that... I'm thankful it's not found footage. I'll be honest with you. I can't do found footage. I can't do found footage anymore. 
No, I, I watched the, the Visit was the last found footage film I've seen. Maybe this film is actually set in the apocalypse, and someone's found his computer. Maybe that's what's happening. <laughs> you, that could be true. You didn't even know. And then it's just Bruce Willis with what's his name, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, and uh, I forgot his name. Scottish actor. We knew him. He's Professor X. What movie? James McAvoy. What are they? Which movie? They're all together because they're 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 together in the uh, sequel to Split. All so right. it's Split is in the so we're putting this Unbreakable in, Universe. We're putting this in the Unbreakable. So I'm saying like, like Bruce Willis finds so it. Searching is in the Unbreakable. Searching and it's all a plot by Samuel L. Jackson's uh, Mr. Glass. I like it. I like it. Maybe this is actually in the Book of Eli. Has to start. I mean, is John Cho black? Maybe. Could be. You know, they, I watched that film again recently. There's a beautiful one take where uh, Gary Oldman finds them at the cannibal's house. And they, they're, it's just cameras going around. They're shooting at each other, trying to get every, everything's going to hell. It's like just beautiful one take and incredible. And it's just hard to imagine they did that and they came up with the Book of Eli. Like, yeah. I mean, I think for, I think there's always been an interesting split with uh, American audiences. And certain European audiences, I think, have always had more of an appreciation for just pure genre filmmaking and those sorts of things. I mean, The Book of Eli didn't get good reviews. Searching is getting great reviews, I think, because it is really effective. But I do think that it's going to underwhelm some people because they'll notice it's just a mystery thriller. And people look down on that. And they do, but that's also because most, like, what, what is like the highest score you can find for most mystery thrillers on IMDb? Like 5.6. But we see a lot of like them. they're they're all, they're all like par for the course or subpar mostly. These movies not, aren't really respected because there's not a lot of it's the it's like there's not a lot of craft when it comes to these movies, and I think that's there's, what do you mean there's not a lot of craft. Not not in searching, craft. not searching. Okay, like searching is pure craft. But yeah. like look at the history of like crime thrillers. It's just you know I don't know. For me, that's when all the craft is. Like if you go back to the film noir. No, 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 no. We're not talking about film noir. I'm talking about like after film noir. Like, I'm not talking about like John Alton's painting of light. I'm talking about like, like there's a period in the 90s and the 2000s where it's just like, yeah, it's another thriller. Whoa. But that's what you think. But I think those movies, like if you go back and you watch the, you know, Thief um, or Heat or the Michael Mann films or you go watch like the old Brian De Palma. You're talking about exceptions. You're talking about the exceptions. It's such, a, such an like oversaturated genre. I think it's an oversaturated genre. And I think there's a lot of duds in there. But like Heat, for example, is a really good crime film. People, I think, respect Heat. Yeah, but that's because Cutman is unfathomably competent. Yeah, and he's the reason I like listening to bullet fire instead of music in scenes. That is the loudest bullet fire. <laughs> that is such a loud movie. After the military, <laughs> I respect it so much more. That's true. After shooting a gun, I'm like, this is an orchestra in itself. That's true. Um, also, action. Crime thrillers tend to be uh, like some 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 of them tend to be a bit slow. Some of them tend to be more action oriented and just takes the gas out of them. I think like searching didn't have a lot of action. It was purely like they, constructed I mean, tense moment after tense moment. And I spoke to John Cho and Deborah Messing about it, and they both said they were incredibly uncomfortable while making this movie. I mean, you have to be Jesus, that like I mean, they like they they just didn't know how to make it work because you never really know what level you're going to take a performance at. Where if you're hamming it up too much, and I do think there are moments when it does come off a bit unnatural. I did say there's a, there's some cheese in that film. Yeah, like just, I, but I think that's just because it's so hard to do. Also, I want to to defend the cheese. I think some families are a bit cheesy sometimes. Yeah, that's fair. You know. Okay, so let's get into pure spoiler territory. All right. Here. How do you feel about how this movie ends? Like what the revelation ends up being. Well, honestly. I was very pleased it was a happy ending because there was that false reveal towards yeah. the like just just before like just towards the was it the end of the second act for me when there's yeah, a false when reveal. Think that she's dead. We got him and they said she's that and, and oh my god, oh my god, bro! I was like cussing, yeah. I was cussing, I was so mad. I was like, they can't end that. That's such an easy out for that film. And then I remembered the whole drought, like the whole yeah. oh, it was raining, it was a storm, but the. The reveal and his reaction, just going from one scene, the shifting from one camera to the other, yeah. and then just falling to the ground, just crumbling, like he's lost everything. A lot of people compare this movie to, you know, Hitchcock Thriller, but if there's anything that they learn from Hitchcock is because it's so incredibly controlled, if they linger on anything, it's for a reason, and they're telling you it's for a reason. So there's that scene at the beginning of the film where... 
So basically, um, Deborah Messing gets pulled in as the detective, Rosemary Vick, who's put in charge of the case. And he Googles her. He Googles her. Which is... There's this one picture of... Yeah, okay. I Google my detective as well. Would you not? No. I would totally do it. I Google everyone. You Google yourself. Yeah, basically. Yes, you Google yourself. (laughs) This is why you need your friend to advise you and remind you who you are. Yeah, that's fair. Um, But so he Googles her and he finds this photo and in the background... You see the... It lingers. The, yeah, it lingers. Because there's a character piece. There's, there's a character I'm in that lingering. photo who gets used up later on in, as a... Yeah, so everything is for a reason. Yeah. Everything. It does that in a winking way, but you're still kept guessing until the end. And the big reveal is that Rosemary Vick the entire time has been covering for her son, who is a sociopath, and is responsible for this girl going missing in the first place. And she knew that, and she's there to basically... Stay close to it, but also throw him off the case. So she ends up being culpable for trying to protect her own son. Well, she was so concerned when she said that the reason my son had to do everything and anything for my son. What's interesting in the story she tells about her son, they gave us clues. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my son went around pretending like a, he had started a charity. And he keeps showing up in the background as well. As yeah. And she's like, I lied. And I lied for him. And it's like, oh, my good i noticed that better on the second or yeah you realize it later and i noticed it better i mean it still felt a bit contrived i think and I, I i said that i mean not contrived but it felt like a contrived plot device but when you're watching it the first time and you're just carried along this journey and you barely give any time to like rest because you're so invested in the character you don't even notice yeah you're you're, you're focused on the things he's focused on yeah i mean the problem for me is that it feels it's a believable film. Yeah. It's especially because even though it is very cinematic and it's very watchable. I think that's where it stretches. Like that's where suspension of disbelief is. That's where it feels like a movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's where like the suspension of disbelief is a bit. It's put the test kind of towards that revelation. It's yeah. like, I, I, this is all a weird thing. He shows up at the church where he's, they're supposed to have uh, the, the daughters. I don't know. This is some very like people stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's very for white people Christian stuff. We just we just bury our dead in Hindu slip. That's true. Yeah, no time to to waste. But well, uh, it was like a like a service. Was it a church service or something? Yeah. Okay, so a he, memorial service. A memorial service, and he confronts her there after he finds some clues. Yeah, it's very gloomy. Yeah. Um, but I, I yeah. So I mean, that's the thing. I do think in a normal film, if this device or this gimmick weren't being used. You wouldn't have much as much of a problem with that, but I think because the film plays itself so, off like that, but but I mean because it's so non like because it's so believable because usually you're watching a thriller and a daughter has gone missing and you're like okay I'm watching a movie, you suspend your disbelief fine. There's guys running and they're out of they're running this way and that and they're out of breath and they look worried and they're looking underneath rocks for their daughter or whatever it might be. You doesn't matter if the ending feels like a movie because all movies are. Whereas this is much more like, okay, this is how I would go looking for that. I would crazy you know, dad loses his uh, hack into goes his crazy. <laughs> yeah, learns that you know kids are broadcasting their entire lives and then takes over the platform. It felt believable. So the fact that when you get to the end, it feels like a story where it's been contrived and there's the detective and there's this reveal and this twist. The, the language they use when they speak is so believable. It's almost it like, is. It, it reminds me strangely enough of. Uh, the Conjuring, because The Conjuring, when when I first watched it, the dialogue was extremely believable. Yeah. It felt like a physics era, and I was really shocked that someone can write good dialogue these days. I'm like, impressive. It but, is. And then I watched Searching, and I'm like, this is this is all believable. The text messages are believable. The posts on Facebook are believable. The YouTube comments are believable. Yeah, yeah. They really you can tell how much they focused on the attention to detail and the, and the world building. So the fact that it ends up feeling like such a movie. I do think it was like the one big flaw that I had with it. It's not enough to like dissuade me of a crazy looking, you know, like I, I'm going to drop set maybe a point five of a point for every Ryan Williams system for it. And it just, it's just an incredible, like it just came out feeling, I, I felt so fresh by this. I think this is a breath of fresh air. I can also chalk that to the, the writer um, and the director and the producer. We sat down in Barcelona at one point. Oh my God. To talk yeah. about it. Like, does that sound like I'm name dropping again? No. Is Sounds like you're telling me how you travel a lot. I have to. I oh have no, to you have to travel. 
They don't want to come to me. I have a question. Uh, did they give you any insight on how they work with things and how like they just like on in a Google Plus it does feel like it's very bright. It almost feels like there wasn't a, like a problem solving on the spot. It was like all solved and ready and done. Finished well, beforehand. It was, it was initially supposed to be a short film. Um, they went into the pitch room and they said, "By the way, we want this as like a a feature, a film. feature length." Mm-hmm. And in the meeting, Anish said, "No, actually, we want this." So yeah, there's um, Devahanian, who's the the producer and the co-writer, and Anish Gajanji, who's the director. And Anish turned it down and said that like, these are bad ideas, <laughs> and told them that they should go and design their own and think about it. And then they realized that they could do it. They could find a way to do it. I think that coming up with the opening was really important. Um, I mean, creativity is genuinely challenging. You're limited. You have a limited like quantity. You have to fail every time. And yeah, you have to make things work. Yeah, like there has to be a constraint that you think of the first time you try it. Like you're gonna like not be sporting enough. Yeah, you just gotta like nail it. And I think just because of the amount of work that they have to put into crafting each and every part of it, you know, you're gonna spend time animating and doing this doing stuff that you wouldn't really have time to do anything else. So. The rain in that is heavily more yeah, played out than anything else. So I, I, I think that this movie, just based on pure work, you know, creative or work for yourself, I think does need to be. It's incredible yeah. craftsmanship. Like yeah. he, this is incredible craftsmanship. Yeah. Well, for his first movie. Oh my god! Yeah, this is like Google's. Oh, it is his first movie. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. and then you spoke a little about like the next, next movie is called Mug. Um, then they have a third movie they've told me in our interview. They haven't talked to me yet about it, so scoop, scoop, the one we play that after our conversation. What's uh, what's fun about it? So it's being shot this fall. The story centers on a homeschooled teenager who begins to accept her mother as proof of her death. Yeah, noble thing. And this could be, I think, could be great. It could be too, a very sentimental thing. It could be a great thing for my brother. Um, I mean, I hope so because this is like one hell of a debut. It's already written. Have you ever seen the the witch? The witch, yeah. Yeah, that the witch is probably my favorite movie of the year. That's that's how I feel about the opening scene, where after you kill a baby, you're gonna be dead. Like you put that on screen, it was incredibly visceral. Where does this movie go from there? That movie pulled it off, man. No, that movie was phenomenal, and I feel like, or at least I think this is a fair narrative. This is the opening of their career, and it's so huge, it's so good. Where's it gonna go from here? Yeah, but I do think when you give yourself this entire life, a you know being your own next movie and taking it to the next level, and after you finish this movie, you're going to be the director of Mug, and then you're working on something that's quite beautiful. Like at the end of Mug, you know that all your work paid off, and you're happy. And What's, hopefully, you know. Have you ever seen the Harry Potter three hours? The Harry three hours trilogy that they shot in Harry Potter Studios, no. based on the Tolkien. Really weird and really creepy. It's like the the machine is clearly trying to learn how people use plots and how to create their stories. I wonder if because he's worked in Google, if he just learns from experience. Like what a machine thinks is unusual and how it works and the processes it uses to learn. Yeah, why isn't Bobby? He's been around for a while. <laughs> Let's hear from our conversation with Devahanian and Anish Kajanji of Mug. Here we go. <laughs> Like mini mall going on there. Do you have your own island in Dubai? I do. Sick. I do. It's awesome. Where, did you grow up in Dubai? I don't have a boat though, so I just gotta swim in every time. Awesome. No, I moved there nine years ago. Okay, from That's the states. Awesome. Yeah. yeah okay. so from I was Boston. about to say you from sound Boston? American as yeah. fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's weird becoming like uh, almost like as if I'm in diaspora. Fair. Yeah. So far. Yeah. 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 Like you. It changes your mindset completely, living abroad that long. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. Yeah. That's so cool. So how's it going with you guys? This is your first, like, um, I mean, obviously you did Sundance, but you didn't really push this press-wise yet. Yeah, this is like our, this is the first day we're doing anything internationally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is my first movie, so that's been, that's been crazy, but I mean, this is the biggest press for you, for sure. Oh, 100%, yeah. 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 I've made a bunch of small indie movies. This is the, this is the first one time in like a worldwide Released, it's incredible. Crazy, man. It's fucking crazy. Well, Fruitvale was at Dubai Film Festival. 
Right, right. But theatrically, we had a much smaller release. Yeah, we got to travel a bit for the festivals, for sure. Yeah. Is that where, is that where we saw Fruitvale? Yeah. Sick. Michael was out there, That's right? awesome. Yeah, and then he came again one time just to... Oh, Michael loves Fruitvale, man. He's one of the... Yeah, absolutely. You play video games at all? A little bit, yeah. You play that game? What's the one that's set in Dubai? A video game set in Dubai? Um, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like a shooter one. Anyway. No, I remember which one you're talking about. I, just, I, remember that. I remember that was such a cool game. Anyway, but we should talk about searching. Yeah, let's talk about searching. <laughs> so, where should we start? So, I know you initially wanted this to be that eight minutes short. Mm -hmm. So, walk me through what that eight minutes short was. Like, what did you originally think your story was? What were you trying to accomplish yep, with just that? Yeah, great question. All right, opens up on a blinking car chart. All right, I'm being serious. Let it open up on a blinking cursor, and password's typed. It shakes, we got to a Y, it shakes, wrong password. We don't know who it is. Oh, the, 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 the logo and not the name, or the icon says Margo. And types it again, it shakes. Types it again, shakes. We can immediately tell that whoever's trying to get into this thing is not Margo. And eventually clicks on password hint. Something really, really specific, and slowly a password is typed. And like, we get into the computer. And realize like this person knows about this girl. Yeah, they're going through photos, browser history. Like, is it a boyfriend? Yeah, is you start to like wonder stalker? like who is this person? Like, is it yeah? Who are they? All these things, and then slowly when we get to our Facebook, we realize like, oh, the person that we're looking at is, is the person who's using the computer is the father. The cursor is the father, and the reason he's doing it is because his daughter's missing. He's looking to find her. Mm. So that's like overall the opening kind of a few minutes or whatever. Um, Past that, it'd just be like this sort of much more tighter, very real-time kind of like investigation into like this active thing is to find her. Um, if, and like at the last second, and the climax would be like, right when he thinks he realized where he is, the last she is like, he finds out the real twist is something you didn't even imagine. And it's like, boom, it ends. Like it's a cool like- Yeah, very, story. very like slice of life, like very, not slice of life, but very like single kind of time period and stuff. And it felt like we could do that. And then once we kind of developed the movie, it, it's harder to imagine what the short is now, but it's. So I think the movie now is better than that idea mm -hmm. for the short. But we had a lot. I just loved the way that opened and, and kind of went from there. Were you always so you always wanted to make this you know very suspenseful? You always wanted to have it end with a twist. Mm -hmm. And at what point did you come up with the twist that you were going for? Was this in plan from the, the start, or was this something the, you came to organically the twist. taking? Yeah, the Deborah twist. Uh, yeah. In the pitch pack. This is literally the pitch packet that we used. When we sold, when so we this is, the movie? This is, this is before, after we gave them the short film pitch packet mm -hmm. and they were like, we want to make this into a feature, we said no, and then we, and then in the gap we got convinced internally that we should make it and then sent them back this. So like it was like, you know, 18 pages, it's the log line, and then like we kind of had it look like what the movie would look like, Windows XP, this is like the opening montage, you know, like, until mom passes away, and when Dave is on the computer, once he realizes she's missing, he goes on her computer and it's like, you know, this, like, all of this stuff was in here, the lake reveal, the, the brother, and even down to, you know, the real person was, it's like we had it from the very beginning. We, we just, because we spent a couple weeks on this, and then, and then, um, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, and, and while we were, yeah, we, while we were working on this, I think one night it was just like, this realization, I remember, I think it was like, we were texting each other, and like, oh, what if it was, what if it was the, the detective, and then I, and then it was just like, oh, then we realized ultimately like, okay, this is not a story about a dad looking for his kid. This is a story about two parents trying to protect their individual children. Mm. And like, I think like to have that be a twist at the end felt in a way like it was the right way to go on this twist because it felt thematically relevant to the whole movie all of a sudden. We're like, okay, we can do this twist. It's not just a twist for a twist's sake. It's like has some larger relevance to the It was story. also like, how do you, how else could you like properly give meaning to that to the idea of the culprit like if we haven't been watching them the entire time it was a way to kind of use the construction of the medium to like kind of tell something cool um also it's it's just it's a little easter egg it's in her name right like rosemary vick vick mackey was the the bad cop on the shield and rosemary mm -hmm. rosemary's baby, baby you know is looking after an eagle child so you know yeah. it's in her name that's cool how, how much did you have to learn about i mean for a second i felt like and i, I mean this you know with complete respect it felt like i was watching the the 90s um well, windows 95 video mm -hmm. with chandler and, and rachel from Ooh, i don't know Wait, what, i don't know what that is you know about that no they filmed like an entire mini movie of just learning how to use windows what? 95 <laughs> on friends no it, they used i mean they were they're playing themselves but it was mm. basically it was the hyped friend so it's, you know, they're using this sort of mock story to get oh, to so like the beginning of it. Must have is felt. it like that? Yeah, so I, I was like using, I felt like I was using, learning how to use my own computer because you guys were doing things. That I, is Sick. it, sorry, it was what? 
Was that an advertisement for Windows 95? It was a, a cassette that came with, I think, like one of the bundles they gave you when you wow. got it. No way. Wow, I would have loved to actually, I wanted, to, I wanted yeah. to Google that. That's awesome. It's hilarious, it's on YouTube. So how much did you have to learn about what a computer could do and research? I know you guys said in the, the, in the mm -hmm. table that you were looking at hacking into each other's emails as well. So yeah. what are the other ways that you got to know how computers worked through the, you know, crafting of the story? Uh, I mean, honestly, the majority of it, I felt like we had already known. Like it was, and, and that was the big objective of the movie was to make sure that we're setting this in a world that is familiar to you and to audiences. It's just like, we shouldn't be making up and we shouldn't be researching too much into things that exist. Even if it does, even if they do, they don't feel that way. We shouldn't go with that. Right. The there, was a, about there was a version, sorry, you switch yeah. off, like where David used to hack. He would use hacking skills to break into Margot's laptop. He used to be a lot better of an engineer. He's, like in the final would, film, he's a little lower. He would like do coding, and we we're like, what? Even if that's realistic, that's not relatable. It's not engaging. So we wanted the our rule was like everything David does should be something that any parent should be able to figure out. Mm -hmm. And we just happen to be pretty computer literate, so there wasn't really much research on our part. But there were a couple of apps and things that we discovered. Mm -hmm. um, you now, which is the uh, or you cast, which is what she is. Um, the daughter is kind of doing her vlogs on. I didn't know about that, but it's a huge site called You Now. Um, we made it up for the movie, but based on the same thing. And kids just go online and like have people chat up. It's the exact same thing in the movie, and it's so popular. And it was a scale of that popularity that made us go, okay, that's good. That's enough of a, a, a an in into the story that we can add it in. Um, and then there's a couple things near the end there. Especially when it came to spoilers, obviously, but like when it came to her vigil, mm -hmm. like how do we show that? And then we stumbled on a New York Times article that was about live stream funerals. And we're like, what the fuck? Like, okay. And then we like Google that and we're like, okay, I guess let's find a way to how we can incorporate this. But that came mostly out of a necessity to find a way to tell that story as opposed to making a commentary. Uh, all, I felt like all of our commentary was almost already made by that point in the, mm -hmm. in the film. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, me at 31, there's so many things that the next generation of people are doing online that just completely baffle me. <laughs> Word, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's just the live streaming, you know, things like Twitch, etc. I'm sure you had to dig into how teenagers are behaving. Yep. Researching how you're yep. doing that. Did you talk to actual teenagers in doing that? Or? Uh a few. Uh we got I mean, like, you now was the big one. Like that 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 site was like the big, like, okay, this is the well, this is what teens are doing. Um we had friends over the course of it, just to make sure for me, like the most important thing was like lingo. You know, like it's like it the all of the the texts and the messages and the comments in the movie on the side are like they're they can't feel fake. They can't feel like they're written by adults. You I know, mean, everyone fans. has seen those movies where it's like they write Y with just the Y or like the U with the U. No one yeah, and like no one like talks anymore, like, like this, but like they have a com there's a way everyone talks and it's like making sure that that was right and that was accurate was sort of a big thing. And I remember as we talked to like everybody in every range and it's like it to kind of get that to kind of get that exactly right and which is something i think ultimately i think we did pretty well one of my proudest moments was when we had a test screen where our producing partner natalie kasabian brought her 13 year old sister mm. and she was the youngest person who have ever seen the movie at the time and she gave us the thumbs up and approval and we're like okay cool the most important <laughs> audience member has approved it we're good yeah you don't want that like empire records vibe where you're oh, just like yeah. this is a 40 year old talking to mm -hmm. a 19 year old Hello, um, young, hello, fellow young people, yeah. right? Yeah, Steve Buscemi <laughs> yeah, coming exactly. in and he's yeah. like, what, uh, how do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> yeah. So were you guys inspired by, you know, hashtag starring John Cho, or was it just coincidental? That you uh, coincidental. I mean, uh, hashtag starring John Cho exists because John Cho is the only uh, star that's an Asian American that you've heard of. You know, like, or, like, or at least has been, I mean, obviously there's Steven Yoon. But like, I think like as a leading man, he's sort of the face of, of, of that. And I think, so it's less of being inspired by that movement and just being like, we wanted to cast somebody from the beginning that was like a representative minority that looked like the people that, I mean like that when we grew up, we just never saw ourselves in these kinds of movies. And we're like, okay, it's, I feel like it's time Hollywood can kind of do this. And here we are with an opportunity to actually do that for the first time. Let's absolutely cast somebody who looks like us or looks like the people that I grew up in Silicon Valley. I, I grew up in San Jose. Um, and so that was the overall MO there. But then we found John like just work and we were like, oh, this guy's, this guy's amazing. This guy's purely amazing. Let's write the role for him. So we wrote the role for him and tried our best to kind of convince him. He said no once, but I convinced him after that. Mm. And, uh, but we came in, but yeah, so- Why did he say no? 
Uh, because he saw another movie that took place on a computer screen that uh, he didn't like, and I didn't do a good job the first time of talking to him of explaining why ours would be different. Uh, you could, <laughs> I, I don't want to say more, but name names as far as because some of the people who worked on this movie worked on that one as well. But um, the ultimate thing was that the, his fear was that it had not been done in a cinematic way, and it could not be done in a cinematic way. And us originally, we said no to this project because it had been done poorly in the past and we didn't want to do that because it could not be done in a cinematic way. So all I need, what ended up needing, needing to happen was like me taking him through exactly why we said no first and explaining why we're saying yes now mm. and why he should say yes now too. Um, it was like the best pitch I've ever given as like a, as a, as a do-over uh, and all, after that he ended up coming on board. So you guys wanted to you know, subvert the you know, internalized white supremacist view that, you know, there's the white default family and that's the only Hell yeah. Default. Sure, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if you want, I guess I want to say anything more about that before I continue. <laughs> no, that's it. That's, I, I, there's, I mean, there's nothing against any, it's not, we, did, we didn't do this against anything. It's, no, yeah. it's just like, we just wanted to see people that look like us. Yeah, I mean, but after you, you know, told them, you know, this is going to be an Asian family, you know, the why not answer of why that's going to be, mm -hmm. were there, was there any pressure to, incorporate more of an Asian culture as far as you know what people saw no, people really support this vision. I mean I think that's that's the beauty of it. It's like it's not a story about an Asian American family. It's a story about an American a family, family yeah. or an American family and it's a universal thing, right? Of parents and kids. I mean we have kimchi we have a reference to kimchi I think one time. That's it. You know, like it, it was all very, very much by design to just make it a universal, relatable story. And look, is there is there like a small part of us that's feeling good and like maybe activist-y by like, yes, helping to show that Asian Americans have this universal family feeling for those white supremacists that you mentioned. Absolutely, but that was never the agenda, it was never the goal. Mm. We just want to tell a cool story. I mean, so you guys obviously are also, you know, growing up, I believe you're Armenian. I'm Armenian, yeah. Um, yeah. Indian, and obviously that very much relates to the experience of people growing up in Dubai who you know, come from those exact same backgrounds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Living in a different culture. So, mm -hmm. um, what is it like for you guys, you know, in the Hollywood world and getting involved in that, coming from these different backgrounds and being able to, to tell your stories in a place that largely has ignored those stories for so long? Do you feel pressure to you know, represent your thing or do you feel like you can just be yourself? I, okay, so like, I, this is a question that like, it's, it's like about identity and for me it's like, I'm an American, you know? Yeah. And like, it's like, I, I grew up in America, I was raised in America, I was born in America and like, my culture for the most part is American. Obviously like my family's from India and there's a huge other per tug in my life from that. For me, representing myself is not any different than any other person gets the opportunity. It's almost like the same personality and the same things that I wanna say about myself that other people get to do. So like, yeah, there's a slight tug as far as like, shouldn't the, stor shouldn't the stories that I tell be come from a more like Indian background or like, I'm sure you there's like aspects of that too. And I, I feel like, and, and you know, when we got the question of like before, of like shouldn't an Asian family have more Asian themes to it? It's like, ultimately though, I think the narrative that we are trying to spread is that like, it's like, it doesn't matter. It's like American is American. Like it doesn't, it, can, it looks a thousand different ways and, and, and hopefully that's what, what comes across. That's it. And there are stories that I want to tell about my like the other side of my identity, but it's I think the bigger agenda, more importantly, right now is to tell stories that have nothing to do with race, at least for us, and cast people who have traditionally not been in those in, in those narratives. And on a personal level, for me, like my first ever film that I made was an Armenian movie that I wrote, directed, shot, produced. It was an eight hundred dollar movie I made called My Big Fat Armenian Family that became like a cult hit with Armenians around the world, and that kind of led me down this path. I think for me. To answer your question, the best thing we can do to represent our, you know, mutual people and, and our cultural heritage is to just succeed. Mm. Like the better we, the, the more films we can make that reach mm. wide audiences yeah. and we can yeah. further ourselves, we will reach that point where we can then, you know, due to our cultures, what maybe like Ryan Coogler did with Black Panther and, and other great examples. Um, Extend you know, a hand too. I'm sorry? Extend a hand. Exactly. And like, you know, like. I mean, this we've never talked to a reporter about, but we, you know, we have our second movie that we announced, right? Uh, called Run. What we're aiming to do with our third movie is going to kind of really answer your question. Oh yeah. Mm. What's the third movie? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I mean, I'm like, how, can I ask that? Am I just going to get <laughs> no, now just shot down in the face? But yeah. So, can you tell me anything else? What exact issues you're trying to 
I mean, I would love to talk to you about it when we're ready, though. Like, afterwards. it's about it's about identity. It's like much more specifically about the the third one, the one that we're not making next, but the one after that is it's about identity, and in the same way that you know we took a story about uh, you know a father and a daughter in this in search, and, and it took a very very emotional story and put it in with, in this narrative of a thriller. I think this next one is going to take for once uh, 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 questions about identity um, and like skin color and, and, and race and put it in a very, very, very mainstream package, which is something that I think is the way we like to put forward an agenda in a way that everyone can, is palatable to everyone. How um, far in the process are you? Uh, we know the whole story, but it's the movie the, after the next one, so we still got to shoot the next one, so we're a, a minute away. Awesome. Yeah, I look forward well, to let's talk about Thanks, it later. But you're the first person sure. who even has any idea of yeah. what it is. So this is yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks Seriously, that was great chatting. Oh, sorry, what was your name? William. William. William, cool. William Malawi. Seriously, thanks for thanks for your perspective, especially. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. And as a quick bonus, here is John Cho and Deborah Messing on searching. I wasn't thinking about it. I've just been there for months. It supports back love. <laughs> I know you know some other Malalis as well. I do. Are you related? Um, I think distantly. My grandma's always said that we are. Wow. She's a big fan. Awesome. Weird so. that you look like Nick Offerman. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess just Malalis. We stick with our kind. When this movie was pitched to you originally, um, you turned it down. Yeah. Um, and obviously Anish came back. I don't know if it was the same for you when you first heard about it, if you felt skeptical about the idea or if this was something that immediately excited you. But what was it about the film that made you feel like this was the way it should be told and a story that's worth telling? What finally convinced you that this was going to be as good as it actually turned out to be? For me, it was the assurance that it would be a cinematic experience and that it wouldn't be about um, the device or the devices, that it would be an emotional story, that it feel like a classical, um, suspenseful thriller. And um, meeting him, um, being excited with him and about him as a storyteller, I said, let's go. Let's, um, I'm in. But, um, but it took a meeting. Ironically, it was like the reason I turned it down, I think, was I didn't get who he was from the phone call that we had. And then when we sat down and I saw him face to face and got his energy um, and I saw the vision, felt the vision really being with him, uh, that's when I was kind of. I think, I think it was twofold. I think that seeing his two-minute Google video, and how uh, emotional, emotionally rich it was, what he was able to do with that, um, made me uh, feel like, in terms of the heart of the story, that that it would it would live, uh, in a way that was. Um, satisfying and like you know like he said just talking to Anish and and hearing how passionate he was how clear he was he he knew exactly what he wanted to do and um, I I just felt that sure-footedness uh, really really uh, clearly and I was like all right I don't know if it's gonna work but <laughs> I, I want to support this effort because it, it just felt so bold and fresh and unexpected. And each of you haven't done um, many thrillers, but obviously you're used to a thriller where there's lots of running and chasing mm -hmm. and sort of loud music. So how difficult was it for you to you know, maintain that sort of, you know, the right kind of performance that's going to create this sort of tension um, with this device when you're looking at a GoPro that's sitting on top of a laptop in a room? Well, for me, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I like physicalizing uh, scenes as much as possible. It just makes it easier for an actor. It's hard to be it's hard to be false when you're running down a corridor. You're just running. And um, so I always look for opportunities to physicalize something um, because I, it helps me and it helps tell the story. So to be to have to do that, um, to have to find ways to sort of transpose all those emotions and all that storytelling from physicality to like just thoughts, just intentions was uh, was tricky. It was new. Um, I didn't feel comfortable for most of the movie. Uh, nor did I. <laughs> no. Um, I, it it was you know when you, you talk about 
having the the suspense and feeling sure about that it was in the right the right world um i had no assurances uh i i really felt like i couldn't gauge because i was acting with a blank screen you know i didn't know if you know the the energy i was putting into the screen was out of proportion um and it really was giving over to uh, anish and uh, the whole creative team, the editing, to to really just say, okay, they're going to protect me. They're going to choose, you know, what is going to service this this film, and 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 just sort of hope for the best. So all right, this has been the first episode of Cutaway. Optimistically, we don't sound like assholes. Uh, hmm. so maybe a bit pretentious assholes. I mean, hopefully. I think we've been okay. Oh, we can do better. We can do. Hopefully, better. next time we'll do better. We can always do better. Yeah, we can always do better. This has been episode one. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Also, it was good to see you, Mama. It was an absolute pleasure, Dan. We shake hands audibly. Next to the mic. Shake, 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 shake. We've done it. Thank you for listening to the first episode of The Cutaway. Please visit thecutaway.co for more content. Check me out on Twitter at WH Mullally. Please like, share, review, I don't know, whatever you feel like doing. And music is by French DJ ProLitter. See you next time. And I promise we'll fix the audio quality. I know it really sucked this time. Thanks, guys.